RadioInfluence.com. Justin Malone, who rattles some cages as director of the documentary film Uncle Tom, is joined by co-writer Chad O. Jackson and cast member Dr. Ben Carson to talk about the recently released explosive follow-up, Uncle Tom 2, on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. Your race, gender, or class doesn't matter here, folks. Uncle Tom 2 is going to rock America to its very core. I truly mean that. And when you see it, and I'm praying that everyone within the sound of my voice and beyond does, you won't be able to remain silent in regard to the series of shocking truths you will learn. Undeniable truths. Now, many people probably will have an opinion about the film's content based upon its name, but you'll be wrong. I'll let Justin explain that. Here's what you need to know. The film points damning fingers at the causes of black America's devastating demise. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Black America has always been down and out, right? Therein is the big lie. That's not true. Don't believe me? Keep on listening and you will. The reason everyone needs to view this film is to finally understand in very vivid illustrations the Marxist communist infiltration of our nation, which is the root cause of this problem, is not only a threat to each and every American, but to the freedom, liberty and sovereignty of our nation. I'm telling you, Uncle Tom, too, is one of the most important documentaries you will ever see. Ever. So let's get into it. By trade, Chad O. Jackson is a professional craftsman and business owner in Dallas. I contend he may have to put those tools away. Chad was featured in the 2020 documentary Uncle Tom. Little did we know the best was yet to come. Following the success of the film, Chad worked with director Justin Malone on Uncle Tom 2, wearing a variety of baseball caps, co-producer, co-writer, assistant editor, as well as featured cast member. Chad's narration and role on camera are absolutely incredible. I don't know what award to give him, but he deserves something. Not for acting, but for being himself and making credible a beyond explosive historical narrative that literally rocks the foundation in terms of of images of the intentional, deceitful, evil, and yeah, I said it, evil, destruction of the black family by communists and their useful idiots. It is my pleasure to bring to the broadcast a purveyor of Christian ethics, free market production, and literacy in today's culture, Chad O'Jackson. How are you, Chad? I'm, I'm very well. How are you? I'm fine, and thank you for coming on. You know, uh, Sometime within the first 30 minutes of the film, I was crying, literally. It, it really hit me like a ton of bricks, uh, having grown up as a kid in the 50s, that the American Negro, of whom I once was, 
has basically been purged from society as if we never existed, replaced by American blacks who have been led to the slaughter on the altar of government dependence, leading us right into communism. I literally cried out to God saying, Lord, how did we screw this up? Uh, is that a kind of accurate assessment of what I looked at? Very, very accurate. You know, Stalin, <clears throat> Stalin once said that if I can take your history, then I can take your country. And he was absolutely right. Um, this uh, this lack of knowledge that black youth have, particularly in my generation, I was born in 1990. So this lack of knowledge that we have of our great grandfathers and great grandmothers in terms of the success that they enjoyed uh, as a result of the values they held, as a result of the faith that they believed, um, where you saw this uh, incremental success generation by generation. That that image uh, is important to understand for black youth because if they know that, that, that they came from greatness, they will be inclined to pursue greatness themselves. Uh, but with the help of the so-called progressive elites uh, at the head of Hollywood, uh, at the head of uh, many of these social justice activist movements, um, many or much of that success was overshadowed and forgotten about. And so it was important in this film to showcase that, to remind black youth in particular, this is what you came from, and here's who is hiding this uh, this reality from you. Um, and so on the one hand, it was important to showcase that, and on the other hand, it was important to showcase exactly who's behind this kind of deception that we see unfolding before our very eyes. I understand what you're, what you're saying, uh... Chad, I grew up as a kid in the 50s, early 50s, Summit, New Jersey, 18% black in an upper middle class family. But the, the families on both sides, I had black friends, I had white friends. We lived with black people, we had white people. Everybody, all my friends, black and white, two parents in the home. Everybody went to church. Everybody went to school. Everybody loved America. We were Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts. We had American flags. I understand. I came from that generation and it was all about community and family. We didn't hate white people, they were our neighbors. Now you grew up learning from the past, you said, and you were glad that we were beyond those days. As I said, same with me. So what the heck, heck happened to that way of thinking that my generation, your generation went from beyond those, you know, you knew about the past and everything, and, and now how do we get to this? Well, I mean, as you know, Gary, uh, that question has been asked for decades. And unfortunately, most mainstream scholars uh, have been afraid to answer honestly. And we believe that we answer that question honestly in this film, in Uncle Tom 2. Uh, we, we, we didn't treat certain events and certain people um, as sacred cows. And instead, we we resolve to really kind of pull back the layers and let the truth, uh, you know, let the chips fall where they may. And what we found is that um, at the turn of the 20th century, uh, you have people like Booker T. Washington on the scene. Mm -hmm. And what he was advocating for was that regardless of who you are, what color your skin is, you are to cast down your bucket where you are, namely seize opportunities, be productive, be a man, be a woman of virtue, be children who honor your mother and your father. Uh, that's the kind of things that Booker T. Washington uh, was advocating for. Uh, from his teachings came the Negro Business League, uh, which was churning out 
black entrepreneurs, Jack or black real estate agents, black uh, uh, teachers, people who were successful, people who were uh, productive in society. Um, you saw genuine race harmony going on, not in just you know New Jersey where you where you're from, but also uh, in many of these southern states, which we're told today were uh, hostile toward black people. We found that much of the claims. Uh, were just simply not true, at least not to the extent that a lot of mainstream historians say they are. So again, that incremental generational success that we saw between the early and mid 20th century was overshadowed by the rhetoric that came along with the 60s civil rights movement, namely uh, that uh, I, I, if I were to put my finger on it, I would say that we went from a trying race to a crying race. Uh, from the civil rights movement, we learned how to uh, uh, basically air our grievances in the public square, uh, where the onus was put, was taken off of the man's responsibility to be a man and be productive and placed on what the government is willing to do for us and what, uh, you know, the white voting class is willing to do for us. And, you know, a lot of people can argue that the civil rights movement was a high point in that black people got equal rights. But my question is, was it? Um, because what we got out of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was uh, basically an expansion of the federal government into the free market in terms of who you can hire and can't hire, who you can uh, uh, serve and can't serve, and so on and so forth. So it kind of created this kind of threshold where the government's role in the free market was expanded. And, and people weren't asking the question of how does the government's exp or, or expansive role and the, and the free market help the Marxist worldview. Well, anybody who's studied Marxism understands that their goal is that the government might control the means of production. And so what you're doing is you're in a sense building upon uh, that ultimate agenda and you're using uh, this kind of race grievance uh, uh, to sensationalize and emotionalize people into going along with it, not realizing what is in the bill. And this happens to this very day. I mean, you saw it with the so-called um, uh, Inf Inflation Reduction Act. That sounds good from the mm -hmm. surface, but there's a lot of language, there's a lot of verbiage in that bill that is detrimental to America. Um, and so, again, we have to learn how to separate the sensationalism and the emotionalism from the facts. And because there was so much of that going around in the 60s, you also had a lot of, of, of youth radical movements like the Weather Underground. Uh, you had second wave feminism. You had the hippie movement. You had the free love movement. And so there was a lot of these movements kind of floating around, challenging and rebelling the adult generation of that time. And so that is where I, I think the shift took place. And in many ways, the black community hasn't been the same since uh, because we learned to uh, take the onus once again off of ourselves and what we are willing to do, what our men are willing to do, and place it instead on what policy and the government and so on and so forth is, is willing to do. Uh, so policy had a lot to do with it. You had the emergence of black exploitation and media, uh, which began to emulate and celebrate uh, the slum life, pimping, hustling, uh, drug use, drug selling, so on and so forth. Uh, which gave rise to the gangster rap hip hop movement in the 1990s. Um, again, once we learn how to grieve in the public eye rather than uh, uh, taking our issues to God, um, that's where we began to go downhill. And it's unfortunate what happened. 
And again, there's way more to the story, and I'm kind of rambling at this point, but uh, we have to be open and honest about where the facts are and what the facts are and learn to not put man on a pedestal, but learn uh, exactly what is it that God would have us uh, know and understand. You're right about that. Uh, two things along these lines. Uh, Jesse Lee Peterson, who has been a guest on my show, what, he's in the movie. And one of the things he said is it's not because of racism. It's not because of police brutality. It's not because of slavery. It's not because of Jim Crow. It's not because of white supremacists and white privilege and all that crap they're telling you now. It's because of lack of character. Black people lost character. And in conjunction with that, Vadi Bacham, uh, the minister in the film, says it's ironic. Black people in America are the freest, safest, most prosperous black people in the history of the world. There is no country in this world that a black person would rather be unless, of course, they grow up in this country. Then they're fed a lie that is so deceptive they actually believe the opposite of that which is true. All of this is going on. We know it. You know it. I know it. A lot of people know it. As you said, a lot of people don't want to face this, but raise the curtain, Chad, and tell them about the force behind this. And I contend one of the worst things to ever happen to us is the change in name and ideology from Negro to black. Yeah. Because the American Negro was a God-loving, family-supporting, two parents in the home, hardworking, enterprising group of people that were by the system and by a, a new kind of black called Uncle Tom's. For the man, when you really weren't for the man, you're for God, right? And I remember when the black thing came in, James Brown was my guy. I was in the music, I was playing the music, that was my guy. And I remember, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And the whole movement that started, that took us to the clenched fists of being a brother man, away from being a Christian man, and away from where the American Negro became somebody to be ashamed of instead of somebody to emulate. No, you're 100% right. Um, there's a uh, uh, interview that was conducted by one of the youth leaders of Martin Luther King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference in 1961, and he put it perfectly. He says that we, uh, the young Negroes, have utterly pus pushed aside the old stymated Negro leadership in the South. Uh, we reject what they stand for, we reject what they believe in, and we are organizing ourselves into student nonviolent protest groups. And these were his words, and they did they did exactly that, where they, uh, in a sense, resented their fathers and grandfathers who were successful, um, and not only successful, but they uh, were uh, friendly uh, uh, over the backyard fence <laughs> with their white neighbors, and these these black. Uh, uh, young folks were, uh, they were filling the fire of some other spirit, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, and this goes back to the Tower of Babel, mm -hmm. uh, if we're being honest, this desire to really kind of build a monument um, that pays homage to to me, to us. And in and, and the case of the so-called black community was the, the building an idol of, of and around blackness. 
uh, the question that nobody is asking is what is blackness and who historically uh, have put forth the image of what blackness is. You have to understand that uh, since the uh, since the dawn of of the digital age with radio and um, television, so on and so forth, it has always been progressive elitists who have been at the helm of this medium and they got to pick and choose the image that they set forth as far as who and what blackness is. And so for a family in Montana who've never seen uh, black people and they were white, the only image that they have that they got for what blackness is was over a record <laughs> or on their television. Um, meanwhile, black people across this land uh, were living just as productive, just as God-fearing lives as many of their white neighbors. But again, what communists seek to do is to maintain this friction, maintain this wedge, keep people at each other's throat. Uh, as Manning Johnson, uh, a former uh, 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 communist operative, said in his last recorded speech, they go out of their way, the communists, to create race issues. Uh, so they want for there to be this friction. In fact, what I found in my own research is that the communists actually had their had their hands in the KKK. And so not only are they uh, enticing race issues, they're also coming mm -hmm. off as amiable on the side of civil rights. So they're playing both sides against each other. It's this divide and conquer kind of thing that's going on, this very Machiavellian thing that's going on. And so, um, yeah, this is uh, this is very complex and this is very uh, deep seated in, in what's behind it. You ask the question of who and what is behind it. Evil is behind. This is how Satan works. And more particularly when it comes to the black church, people think it's unfathomable, that it's inconceivable, that uh, sinister people will masquerade as Christians in order to conflate and co-op or, or I'm, I should say subvert and co-op um, the Christian church. Uh, we must not forget that Satan himself tried mm -hmm. to use scripture to tempt our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he knows the Bible. In fact, he knows the Bible better than many of us who profess to be Christians. And mm -hmm. that's a shame. And so, and so it's not uh, uh, inconceivable that such a thing will happen here in the United States, particularly as it relates to the American Christian Church, and it certainly did happen. I mean, you can see uh, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois uh, mm -hmm. advising Margaret Sanger, well, the way that you convince the Black South is to get into the churches. He told her that. And then she wrote a letter to a, a white doctor friend of hers and said the same thing. You know, we have to we have to uh, recruit the Negro minister. He's the one who can straighten out the more rebellious men in their congregation who are on to us. And so they, they, they resolved to do just that, to get into the, the church. And so um, you had a lot of reformed, uh, biblically oriented uh, pastors in the South, black pastors in the South, but many of them began to kind of uh, uh, reject that and to adopt a kind of social gospel where the onus is not put on the individual to repent and to turn to Christ and to uh, uh, choose to stay forward to be led by the Holy Spirit, but rather the onus is put on the system and how, you know, God is on the side of the oppressor, whether, or, or I'm sorry, on the side of the oppressed, regardless of whether the oppressed are living in sin or not. That doesn't matter. 
He's just on your side for the mere fact that you're poor and he's against the system. And so the system needs to be be redeemed uh, more so than the individual. And so that's the kind of, of message that began to be preached. And that message goes right in line with with communism and Marxism. And so um, a lot of, of, of black people and white people, for that matter, today um, think that they believe in the authentic gospel. But what they really believe is a kind of social gospel that has no basis in scripture at all. I understand what you're saying, and I saw this play out uh, at the church I was uh, when I was in uh, a kid in, in Jersey. I remember the day the pastor and he has his robe on, right? And this is mm-hmm. uh, probably around 63, 64. And at the end of the service, he takes his robe off and he's got on the blue jean freedom fighter, mm-hmm. and and he's saying, you know, and talking about civil rights and rights for blacks and and he had on his freedom. He was going to go down and march and uh, and that this is the direction we we're supposed to go. And um, it was really interesting. And, and I didn't know any better than like in a church of Jesus Christ. Why are you singing the black national anthem? <laughs> <laughs> you know, lift every voice and sing at the end of a church service instead That's of crazy. saying all all hail Lord Jesus. You know what I mean? And uh, so we've kind of tap danced around it to a degree, uh, pun intended. (laughs) This people need to understand and why this movie is so important for everybody to see. The communists leave no stone unturned. They jump on any movement. They jump on the feminist movement. They jump on the homosexual movement. They jump on the environmental movement. They jump on the ecology movement. They jumped into sports. They jumped into anything. They jumped into the churches. This started, as you probably know, back even after slavery, where Uh some of the Democratic Party leadership raised up black pastors Uh to preach a certain type of gospel to keep these people on the plantation and in a certain frame of mind, the Marxism, the communism was already starting back then. It has infiltrated all churches, you know, where you where where, you know, uh, where pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus daily has been replaced by a social gospel, social justice gospel, you know. So this has been going on forever. And the communists have been very, very successful within destroying the black family, destroying the black structure, simply people. So you understand for the pers- for the purpose of big government, getting people on the government dime, getting them on the government dime, dependent on government, government instead of sustenance from God. You know, as you know, Karl Marx said two things. The first thing he said, you got to get rid of God because people either look to his sustenance from God or government, not both. And you got to get rid of the guns. So when we go communist on you, you can't fight back. Right. This is where we are. This is where where the black society is. And this is what your movie was about. It, it's not really it's about communism and it's about how communists have moved into every faction and destroyed this. Let's talk about what LBJ did, because uh, obviously that was huge in this mm-hmm. movement. Yeah. So by the time LBJ pushed the Great Society, um, which is a series of of policies that uh, ushered in welfare and the welfare state in America. Um, the demoralization process have already taken place. As you may recall in the film, we have a scene featuring Yuri Bezmenov, mm-hmm. who was a former KGB agent, and he talked about um, uh, subversion and how they sought to basically uh, weaponize 
the media weaponizing America's institutions against itself and how the, the name of the game was to demoralize the United States of America. And he said it takes three generations to to do that. And in fact, I would argue that it took even less than that, uh, because, again, um, around about the 60s, you did have this kind of rebellious spirit in the air that many people uh, were latching on to. And so the, th- the thing about demoralization is um, it de-incentivizes your responsibility to be a man. Um, as a man, I know that if I don't work, my children won't eat. My mortgage won't get paid. My wife will be, <laughs> be mad at me. Um, I know that uh, uh, I, it, it's incumbent upon me to pull my weight so that way somebody else isn't having to take care of me, right? And so there's things that I must do on a daily basis, even though I might not want to do them, even though I might be tired or I want to sleep in or I want to do this, that, and the other. And so what demoralization does is it takes your focus off of the priorities of what your obligations are and tells you, oh, you know, it's all it's all good. You you can you can, you know, live free. You can indulge. You know, you only live once. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. it, it takes the the incentive off of you know, your responsibilities and it, and it makes you almost childlike or I should say childish. It makes you almost childish. But what does a child need? A child needs to be taken care of incomes, government handouts. And so by the time uh, Lyndon Johnson's uh, uh, welfare state came along, the demoralization was always was was already such to where people uh, uh, needed to take care of themselves. They needed to feed themselves. And so that's why people began to flood the welfare line. It wasn't so much people who uh, uh, had instilled in them a strong uh, family uh, values and, and strong Christian values who were who were flooding these welfare lines. It was the people who were affected most by this demoralization that took place in the culture. And so you may you may see that at the same time we're expanding welfare programs, we're also uh, uh, in the entertainment, uh, industry constantly peddling uh, demoralization, mm-hmm. and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. I mean, heck, we released the first Uncle Tom film uh, that was it was released in 2020. So we decided to put it on YouTube for free a month ago, and we did that to build anticipation for uh, for part two, which was released last weekend. Um, within three days of having put it on YouTube. It was going viral. A lot of people were watching. I think we got up to like 175,000 views until YouTube decided to put a, mm-hmm. a, a age restriction on it. So you can't watch it on YouTube unless you can prove that you're 18. And even then they put two warnings, two warning labels on. Are you sure you want to watch this? Uh, nobody can explain why they put that age restriction on it. Um, there's nothing in there that's inappropriate. It's, it's, it's strictly information. And this is part one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. At the same time, any six-year-old can watch Cardi B's uh, uh, music video, WAP, which stands for, uh, well, I'm not going to say what it mm-hmm. stands for. But anybody anybody can watch that. My four-year-old daughter can watch that. Uh, she hasn't, but I'm just saying she has access to it. Um, and the same is with this little Nas X uh, uh, character, this, this so-called black rapper, um, who in his... Uh, one of his recent music videos, he's stripped. Da- he's uh, uh, dancing on on what's supposed to be Satan, giving Satan a lap dance. 
free unfettered access to stuff like that. And so that kind of is indicative of how the culture constantly wants to demoralize you and constantly wants to uh, uh, take away and de-incentivize any uh, responsibility of one's, you know, of one's uh, uh, obligation to be a man. Um, and the more we indulge as a culture, the more uh, um, relevant and necessary government handouts are. And so, yes, uh, LBJ's policies uh, uh, certainly did a number on the black community, but I wouldn't say it started there. I would no. say that the demoralization process uh, uh, started well before those programs came into play. You're, you're absolutely I hope, right. I hope I explained that. Right? Yeah, yeah, you did. You know, and we're, we're kind of jumping around here because there's just so many tenets to this. Uh, there, there were two there were there were two uh, film clips that to me were just had the effect of a sledgehammer. I'm going to save the I'm going to save the most devastating thing in the film to me for where you put it. You put it last, you know, but boy, and I've been trying to tell people about this for years. But the other one uh, was a black and white clip from way, way back people of Julia Brown. Julia Brown, the black woman who had been a nine year member of the Communist Party. And she was talking about how they use race. This is back then to wedge this issue. And her quote was, There's, this is, we're talking about the communists now. She'd been in the party for nine years. Their strategy simply has been to keep hammering on that wedge, to drive it deeper within our social structure, to open, listen carefully, people, to open all wounds that has long since healed and deliberately create new ones wherever they can. Having been on the inside, it's easy for me to recognize this revolutionary agitation in disguise. But the average American finds it hard to believe that something as worthy and noble sounding as a civil rights movement could possibly be a communist maneuver. And that's what I think the problem was. For 50 years, people have been trying to explain that just like everything else and every other movement, the communists infiltrated the civil rights movement. People don't want to believe it, but it is undeniable. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, we hope to get into that and, and flesh that out in part three. Um, obviously, we couldn't we couldn't get to all of that in part two. Otherwise, it would have been a four hour movie easily. Um, but, uh, you know, people do find it inconceivable that the civil rights movement was a subversive tactic. Uh, and so it is incumbent upon us uh, to uh, to flesh that out because we already <laughs> we already let the cat out of the bag. Um, but I'm confident that we can do it because we've done the research. Uh, we delved into it heavily and and we're confident in what and what the facts show. You did a great job of pointing out the effect of Saul Alinsky, you know, and 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 all the all his garbage that's led to the 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 this, the movements we have today. But a great job on uh, dealing with uh, uh, one of the people that I'm always talking about, Antonio Gramsci, the uh, mm. former Italian communist who died in Mussolini's prison, who was the father of cultural Marxism, and uh, you know. Uh, and it marks just everything showing how everything that's going on now is all a part of a communist communist movement that has been going on for for oh so long. And 
the beautiful thing you did was take all a lot of the old time black and white film uh, uh, images and clips and splice them in to what's going on today. Mm -hmm. Which bring and especially when Julia was talking and you're you're showing the agitation from the old days and showing the agitation from Black Lives Matter and Antifa today, mm -hmm. uh, bringing out how the NAACP and Black Lives Matter obviously were started by white socialists and Marxist organizations, also the civil rights movement, which was behind that. All of these organizations, all of these movements were not started by black people. And a black person may have been in there at some point saying, yeah, let's do this, that and the other thing. But I always said it's like what we saw with what happens with George Floyd or what happens with Michael Brown or anybody, the, the family is in grief and the, the black leaders come in, you know, and they say, let us take, let, let, let us run this. We'll make you famous. We'll make your son famous. We'll make him a martyr, blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, in every movement, Occupy Wall Street, doesn't matter what it is, the communists come in there and, 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 and take over. And next thing you have, here we go further and further to the left. <clears throat> Please explain about what we're seeing today, in particular with Black Lives Matter, that has nothing to do with black lives, black people, or even black people really running it. They front it, but, and the, the people in charge, even the black women, they say, we're Marxist trained. What mm -hmm. more do we need to hear? Yeah. Why aren't yeah. these people being thrown in the gutter where they belong? Exactly. These people, you have to understand, and you, you do understand, um, but people have to understand that they're masters at semantics and slogans. And that's exactly what Black Lives Matter is. It's a slogan that people who are, uh, uh, this is gonna sound harsh, but people who are too lazy to kind of look into what these movements are about, they go along with the slogan because it sounds good. And so they understand human psychology and the fact that people, uh, you know, who wouldn't deny the fact that Black Lives Matter shouldn't Black Lives Matter? You know what I'm saying? And so and not only that, but to the extent that you have uh, these news personalities who are constantly showing uh, these one off situations uh, of police shootings uh, with no context, mind you, of, of, of black thugs being shot by police officers and then turning those people into martyrs. I mean, these these journalists, they know full well what they're doing. They know that they are peddling sensationalism and emotionalism, which acts as fodder for a group like. Black Lives Matter to capitalize on and to use as intimidation uh, to corporations, to churches, to uh, America at large. And so uh, what we demonstrate in our film, Uncle Tom 2, is that uh, the story, the narrative that three black women started Black Lives Matter is not completely true because they were trained by a white Marxist named Eric Mann. Mann, right. And we show you uh, things that he said. It's incredible. Uh, He's up there yeah. just talking about, yeah, I'm He's... training revolutionaries, black, Asian. Yeah. Black. We can't use the white people, but black, <laughs> Asian, you know, Hispanic. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he's spilling all the beans. And that was a closed-door uh, revolutionary meeting um, that somebody put on YouTube a long time ago, and it, and it didn't get any plays at all. In fact, when we found it, it only had like maybe 70 uh, 60 or 70 views. So uh, nobody's seen this thing. And so we were able to unearth it and we were able to put it in the film in the film and expose it for all all to see that, look, this is this this uh, this group, this Black Lives Matter group that all your churches and all your corporations and everybody was getting behind and saying that, you know, we need change and Black Lives Matter have all the answers. That group, this is the man who's behind it. And here's what he wants to do. He's talking about um, 
you know, we want uh, uh, unfettered access to abortions for minors. We yep. want, you know, to uh, uh, overthrow the police. We want to release all the prisoners who are in prison. Like these are the kind of things that he's advocating for. And so, uh, and so, what we had to demonstrate, and we what we labored over demonstrating, in this movie was that these organizations are meant to uh, knock you off your course, uh, to get you uh, involved with something that you don't even know what that thing is. And then there are sinister people who are behind it, who want to use it for their own advantage. And so whenever these policies are passed in the name of Black Lives Matter, in the name of civil rights, and the detrimental effects begin to happen, nobody knows how we got here. And all of your public intellectuals and all of your scholars and all your historians are going to speculate and 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 offer their theses and all this, that, and the other. In the meantime, we missed it all along and it was right under our noses. But people like yourself have been on it and you've been warning people for a very long time. And I think the pendulum is beginning to swing and we hope that our, our movie uh, can assist with that. I, I hear you. Uh, uh, Colonel Allen West, who's in the film, he said, quote, if you have the founders of Black Lives Matter saying they're trained Marxists, how does Marxism relate to the black community? If you're talking about a community that's deeply rooted in Judeo-Christian faith heritage, then how do you make that connection? Well, they've made that connection and they've made it work. And talking about making connections, you made a connection about how rhetoric kills black success how the black leadership sold out black people. You did a great job on Tulsa and the black Wall Street, the rise and fall of black Harlem. I was amused. I was trying to be a combination of James Brown and Billy Preston back in the day. <laughs> so when I was in high school and college, so Harlem was my hang. I used to go to the Apollo Theater r- religiously every yeah. other week, every star. From, I saw James Brown there probably 15, 20 times. Everybody... I, I Harlem didn't go eat at us. You know, at Wilt Small's Paradise, and you, you had Harlem used to be. It, it's incredible, and looking at what it used to be and what it's become, you know, it, it, and and why they allowed this to happen, and understanding it was intentional, and that blacks allowed their leadership to do this to themselves. It's mm-hmm. it's a shame, Chad. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I before I ask you to. Uh, Tell people how they can reach you. You ended the film with what has to be a bombshell to people who haven't delved deeply into the communist infiltration, particularly in regard to the civil rights movement in the 1960s. So here goes. The film ends with a clip, black and white clip, with Dr. Martin Luther King straight out of his mouth. And I watched it carefully five times to make sure his <laughs> lips were moving. Okay? Yeah. Listen, people. Quote, it didn't cost the nation one penny to integrate lunch counters. It didn't cost the nation one penny to guarantee the right to vote. Then he looks around, raises his head, and has the audacity back then to utter this. Now we are dealing with issues that cannot be solved without the nation spending billions of dollars and undergoing a radical redistribution of economic power, and that is straight up, flat out socialism. Mm. You said it. No, he said said it. it. No, I'm saying, (laughs) no, he said it. And no, that wasn't any deep fake. That wasn't any, you know, special effects. Where did you find that? What we found was there was a, um, 
a, a unreleased documentary that PBS did um, and leading up to Martin Luther King's death. Uh, as many people may know, Martin Luther King was uh, doing something called the Poor People's Campaign um, before he died. And the idea of the Poor People's Campaign was to go travel the country to collect all these poor people of, of different ethnic groups and to go and occupy uh, uh, Washington, D.C. and to build a shanty town there and to not leave until the government uh, passed legislation that guaranteed a basic income for everybody uh, and a whole slew of other uh, socialist-esque policies. And so I guess PBS wanted to document uh, that journey, um, but obviously Martin Luther King's life uh, was cut short, and so in and amongst that uh, th that footage was that video that you saw, and so people miss it. We we remember Martin Luther King for the "I Have a Dream" speech, which wasn't even written by him; it was written with the help of Stanley Levison and uh, uh, Bayard Rustin, uh, both of whom were communists, uh, and and. Some of it was even plagiarized by Archibald Carey Jr., mm -hmm. who was a Republican um, um, uh, orator. And so this idea and, and to the question of, well, why would Martin Luther King deliver a, a speech as patriotic as the I Have a Dream speech if he didn't believe it? Again, this goes to the deception of how these things work. Uh, why would Satan try to tempt Jesus with the word of God if he doesn't believe it? And so am I saying that Martin Luther King is Satan? No, I'm not. But I do challenge people to go and read his papers, uh, to read his Stanford papers, um, to read about how he rejected Jesus by right. age 12. Yeah. And, to read and about, even later in life, how he yeah. started having a lot of issues. See, my issue with him, Chad, I'm sorry for cutting no, no, you. Either be a man of God and be a pastor and, and Jesus mm -hmm. comes first. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if you got a problem that's going on with a group of people, you make it a Christian issue. And then right. the blacks and whites would have had to come together in the body of Christ or be a, be a community activist or be, a, be you know, on the other side. But you can't be both. You can't serve right. God and man at the same time, especially when the man you're looking to serve is looking to take this country communist. 100%. Yeah. Yep. Chad. You've been wonderful. It's it's a great film. I'm I'm hoping that everybody everybody needs to see this because as you guys bring out in the film, this isn't just about blacks. This has happened to the Jews. It happened to the Irish. It's happened to everybody. Everybody came over here with problems coming to America. This was the country where the melting pot, where everybody was not supposed to have equal outcome, but an equal opportunity. See and. They've they've hit all groups. And this is really isn't about people calling black people names. This is about the communist subversion and takeover of America and how it indirectly, how it directly affects black people, but affects us all. Please tell people uh, how they can reach you and anything you'd like to uh, promote. Yeah. And I'm glad you retain that. And hopefully other people do when they watch this film as well. Um, you can reach me personally at Chad O'Jackson. Um, all one word on Twitter. Uh, apart from that, I invite people to go to UncleTom.com. That's where the film is available to stream right now. Um, you can buy a stream. You can buy DVDs. You can buy part two and part one as a bundle set. Uh, but we strongly encourage people to uh, to watch part two. 
the to the question that we get a lot, you didn't ask this question, but I'm going to go ahead and answer it now um, of, you know, how do we get other people to see this? How do we get black people to see this? And, and to your point, um, this isn't just a black movie. This is an American movie. I think all Americans need to see it. But to the extent that you have friends who you believe need to see it and won't, I invite everybody who watched this film to retain the information, to equip themselves with this information, and to even go and research and dig deeper that they might, you know, you know, have the knowledge. You know, the Bible says my people suffer for lack of knowledge. So, so equip yourself with this information. Put it in your arsenal, so that way you might be ready to uh, to uh, argue um, against a lot of these leftist tactics that are going on and have been going on for a long time. Uh, and also uh, that you can sniff out these tactics for whenever they do come your way. Uh, right now, they're trying to pull a lot of stuff off uh, and the pub- at the public school level. Um, they're pushing something called social and emotional learning and culturally relevant learning, uh, which are off branches of critical race theory. And so they're trying to equip uh, your children with uh, this the pseudo history and the pseudo curriculum uh, so as to turn your children into little Marxist activists. And only you as parents can can prevent that from happening. So again, go to UncleTom.com. Uh, we invite you to watch Uncle Tom too. Chad, thank you very much. You dropped a lot of knowledge here and uh, it's a great film. Uh, it's, uh, it's incredible. People will be moved by it. You just can't help. Thank you for coming on. God bless you. God bless your family. Same to you. Have you seen yeah, this, by the way? No. This is the, one of the books that we talk about in the film. It's uh, uh, a true likeness. And all these pictures are from black families from the 1920s to the 1930s. And um, I think uh, North Carolina or something like that. But we found a lot of these these pictures, too, of, <laughs> of successful. They'll make you cry. They'll make yep. you cry. And since you brought that up, my final statement is the, the, the film starts with showing a black black uh, a series of, of home videos of black people from back mm-hmm. before summer in black and white and summer in color. And the one thing that will strike you automatically as soon as you see it is how happy everybody was. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's got a smile on their face. You're seeing guys in Boy Scouts, you know, Cub Scouts, you know, the women, they're seeing the parties, you're seeing parades. The anger that you see on the face, it, there was none of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they don't, want, they don't want us to know <laughs> right. that they, they purged that like it never mm-hmm. existed. We got to get it back, people. Yes, sir. Once again, Chad O. Jackson. Thank you. At the age of 22, I got my first full-time job, my first real apartment since college that doesn't count. And I bought my first new car. Justin Malone, at the age of 22, he launched Malone Pictures, a motion picture production company that built its reputation on unique storytelling in both the entertainment and commercial industries. And how. The trajectory of Justin's filmmaking career took off in 2018 when he uncovered an extremely fascinating story of the black American conservative, evolving into a highly acclaimed 2020 documentary, Uncle Tom. And now he's back again with an incredible film that everyone, and I mean everyone, needs to see, Uncle Tom 2. I'm elated to bring to the show director, editor, cinematographer, Justin Malone. How are you, Justin? Good. How are you, Gary? I'm doing fine, Justin, and just overwhelmed by this friend, by this uh, film. And when you hear the term Uncle Tom, a specific concept probably comes to mind in most people. 
But to me, that's just a name in regard to what Uncle Tom 2 is about. So please tell us why everyone, everywhere, in my opinion, must see this film. Well, I think it's an American film. Uh, we called it Uncle Tom 2, an American odyssey, because, you know, as we were getting towards the the end of the process, that's, that's you know, we showed it to a couple of people a couple of uh, people we trust, and that's what they were saying. Like this, this film—it's not a film about black people, black Americans. It's a film about America, and so I took that and, and I agreed with them. You know, I mean, whereas part one, you know, an oral history of the American black conservative, we were just kind of bringing to light that not you know every black person is a Democrat, not every black person. Um, is into uh, protest or whatever the stereotype they've put into our head, you know, that there are black Americans that love America. There are black Americans that are, are, are patriots and, and business owners, conservative. But this one, you know, in order to explain what has happened to black America, as we got into the process, we had to keep zooming back and tell the story of America at large. Justin, one of the, 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 the things in the film that just jumped out was just showing the beginning of what black life used to be. And you're seeing happy faces in black and white and in color and people with American flags and families together and people going to church and kids in Boy Scouts, Cub Scout uniforms, even kids out, people out in Oklahoma or something, cowboys and stuff. And there was this happy time. And you could just see the joy on people's faces and the love of being American. That somehow they purged that out, out, of, out of our life where it's almost like you have generations now that have no idea that that's from where black America came. You were able to bring that out and recreate that in the movie. Was, was that intentional or did it just in your uh, research morph into, gee, it used to be this way and now it's that way? Yeah, I mean, there's a small part in part one that we put in color, and it was these home videos that we had found, these home movies, these eight millimeter movies. And I kept that part in color because it was hard for me to take the color out of that old ectochrome, that old home movie footage, but it actually kind of worked as this metaphor of, you know, this this golden age, this this time in black America, all America, really, but black America, that like we're never shown that. Uh, my generation in our social studies, in our history classes in public education, when you learn about black America, you learn about slavery, and then you learn about the civil rights movement. And there's this big hundred year gaping hole in black America. And so whenever you're taught you know, that blacks have just always, you know, had the, 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 the boot on their neck that, you know, been held down, you know, it creates guilt. It creates these, you know, these feelings in Americans that make you have shame and, and not love your, your country. But it also changes your optics because you can see footage like we've all seen Harlem in the 30s. We've all seen Harlem in the 40s. We've all seen footage of Duke Ellington. We've all seen these images but there's just a disconnect. And I think what we were able to accomplish with Uncle Tom 2 is showing you the same images and a lot more. I mean, we found a lot of things that have not been shown, but showing you those, those familiar images, but through, a, through a, a new lens. 
And I think that we've we've filled in some gaps for people with with the film. And it's beautiful because, you know, you know, it's it's nice to know that your ancestors um, haven't always been down and out, in my opinion, you know. Yeah. And and that's where you started the film. And I'm you know, and I'm going to ask when you hear the term Uncle Tom, you know, a specific thing comes to mind. In regard to Uncle Tom, too, uh, please tell us why everyone everywhere, in my opinion, must see this film. Well, everyone should watch it, in my opinion, uh, because we made it. No, I'm kidding. Because it's because it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> no, I think it's an important story for all of Americans. You know, it is an American story. You know, we're all Americans. And I think that that's important. And like we're all in this together. And I think that there's there's forces that try to divide us. They try to keep it keep us separated, and and but we're all in this together. And everything that's happening with race relations, with with you know all the chaos that's going on in our country, it affects all of us. And so I think you know uh, I think Black Americans, younger America, younger Black Americans should watch it, so they can see something beautiful that their ancestors have done that maybe they weren't taught in public school, you know? I mean, just to learn about Booker T. Washington is enough. Just to learn what that man accomplished and just, you know, to see these images of the prosperity and the entrepreneurship and the the towns, the complete towns that were built, you know, the craftsmanship, the skills, the, the, you know, the decency, the beauty. And, you know, for, for white Americans, you know, I think to show them that, no, you're not inherently racist. No, you're not uh, an evil person. You know, I think they've done a number on us. I think there's been some evil forces that have been working on us for a long time. And maybe Uncle Tom, too, will dispel a little bit of that and, and just maybe actually make people feel differently about themselves and about this country that we live in. I don't think it'll just dispel a little. I think it'll dispel a lot. Justin, Two shocking things. If there are two things that people are going to find out in this film that they had no idea, give me two that I have my wow moments, but give me the two that you put on film that people are going to go, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. Now, I would think one of them would be that the communists are behind the total collapse of black society. I would think that would be one of them, right? Well, yeah, I mean, just America and the, the West as a whole. I mean, for me, I think the um the Tulsa thing was big for me mm-hmm. because please, ex- please explain about uh, Tulsa and Black Wall Street. Well, Tulsa really, I you know I wasn't taught about Tulsa in school. Tulsa is really a recent thing. I mean, I would say maybe 2016, 17 that started you know popping up in programs on television, and I think Vice did something on it, and then you saw CNN and those guys doing specials on it. So, and then it just became very uh, prominent. I think HBO did some narrative stuff around it. So it was just like Tulsa, Tulsa, Tulsa. Please tell people what it is about Tulsa because a lot of people may not know. Well, they call it the Tulsa Massacre. Oh, you're talking about Massacre, okay. Yeah, and so in 1921, uh, the story that we're told is that uh, jealous, racist white people went into uh, the Greenwood District of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and slaughtered and killed and 300 people and burned down, you know, the neighborhood and all the businesses. 
And that was the end of black prosperity in America. That's the story that's told. And that's tough, you know, because, you know, as you're seeing that and you see the imagery, you know, as white people, you don't want to know that you don't want to own up to that or have any part of that. And it's just a disgusting thing that happened. So during our research of this this film, we really lucked out and we found a treasure trove Mm. of 16 millimeter footage in an archive. We found six hours of 16 millimeter film scans that were shot by a man named Solomon Sir Jones, who was a pastor in Oklahoma. And he shot the entire South in the 1920s. He traveled the entire South, Chicago, Kansas as well, went to Europe, New York, and he shot Black America. And and I would say the film ranges for about five to six years he, he did this. And he had the foresight to slate the film. So before he would shoot a, a, a family at their farm, he would he had a board and he'd write, you know, the the Jones family farm, you know, 1921, you know, blah, 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 Alabama, whatever it was. He he he, he would always slate it. And one day we're just going through the footage and we find all this footage of Tulsa. And it says the Negro business parade, mm-hmm. 1925, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we're watching it. And then and I'm just pulling footage from it to show this golden age of black America. And I'm like, hold on. Right. I thought it was all burned down. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, well, what year was the riot? And we went back and then we discovered the footage of them rebuilding it. And then we went back to some of these news programs and we watched how they told the story. And the footage that this man shot, meaning that they've had access to this footage, they were using this footage as a before the mm-hmm. so-called massacre. This is what it was like before when, in fact, no, this is what it was like after. So for me, once you uncover such a lie and such a a deceptive lie, it's like, well, what else am I not seeing here? And once you realize that people are willing to uh, lie to you on that level, you know, the credible media, you know, our, our mainstream media, that was one of the biggest ones for me because then it was like, well, they were able to rebuild so rapidly and you then we find another uh, piece of film shot by a pastor in the 1940s that showed tulsa very prosperous and it's you know like you were saying earlier it's like when you see the footage you can just see the body language it's it, there's no anger there's joy there's peace there's a calm you know you, you can see it it's right it's obvious on the film which is probably why a lot of this stuff is buried in archives. You know, why would you show that footage to young people if you want them to think that their country and their their history is is awful? You 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 don't show it to them. But when they do show it to you, they frame it in such a way. And that's another thing. I mean, Chad has his books in here. This book right here was a big find. Um, a true likeness. I would yeah. suggest all of your listeners buy this on Amazon. Even spend the money for the hard, the hardcover. But we found a couple of images by this photographer, Richard Samuel Roberts, who was shooting portrait photography in Columbia, South Carolina, in the 1920s through the 1930s. And when I discovered that they had they had produced a book, we bought the book, and we were just blown away. Now they discovered his, they found his glass plates in a basement rotting. And luckily, there was a university that came in and preserved those. 
But what's interesting, here's what's important for people to think about. If you buy this book and you read the Ford, be very mindful of what you're reading in the Ford. Because what the Ford is going to tell you is that Columbia, South Carolina was an anomaly. It, it, was, it was a one-off, the same way they do with Tulsa, right? Tulsa was our one shot. Tulsa was our one time we tried capitalism, and look what happened. That's not true. But if you read this Ford, it quotes men like W.B. Du Bois. It quotes, it quotes you know, northern intellectuals about southern life in the 1920s. Another thing that we discovered that was omitted from this book is there was a this man shot a portrait of Booker T. Washington in this studio, not in this book. So why is a, a a portrait photographer from Columbia, South Carolina, why is his Ford include quotes from W.E. Du Bois, who was a northern intellectual, and not Booker T. Washington, who was a who was a southerner? Right there, yeah. Because when you read it, they're going to frame it as this was an anomaly, this was a one-off, this this didn't always happen. Because the, the, the truth is, and what we discovered, is that the South was very prosperous. The black South was very prosperous. And it was the black South that built Harlem. And that's another thing that we discovered. So I think that was probably the biggest discovery for me was just getting that confirmation and that confidence that America works, uh, America value, America, American values work, and Christian values work. And once we had that piece of the puzzle, it kind of changed everything for me because I started looking at everything through a whole new lens. There's a book that we use in the film about Harlem. Same thing. You can buy the book at Barnes & Noble. But if you're not looking at it, understanding where these images are coming from, you're, going, you're, you're missing a piece of the puzzle. You know, The piece of the puzzle is what happened to black America. Well, if you went to public school or you watch TV, white racism happened to black America. But which white racism, right? I mean, if, you, if you're going to call it racism, like who who's had control of black America for the past 60 years? Democrats. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's 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 very sinister, you know, and. And that is that what yeah. you found out? Is that what you found out? And boy, you dealt with it. You rattled a whole bunch of cages because it seems like you found out that the Communist Party, just like they did the feminist movement and this they 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 did the evangelical, got in the churches, and just like they got into the uh, you know, the schools and the educational Hollywood and everything, <clears throat> they got into black life and collapsed it and destroyed it to get everybody to going on to that, away from God, on to big government. They did. They did. And my question to you is, like, you know, when we were growing up, just the mention of the word communist, at least when I was growing up, would make you very uneasy. The hairs would bristle on your neck. Now words such as Marxist, socialist, communist, progressives, they use it with no regard to negative pushback from the masses. What has happened that it's actually become mainstream? We actually have kids walking around thinking, Socialism is cool. It's a shake of our T-shirt and free stuff. Yeah, well, that's because we don't know what it is. And that's that was very important as we were shaping Uncle Tom 2. I wanted to make sure that we told that story. Because, you know, when you're in research mode and you're doing this day in and day out, you you become aware of things and you go deeper and deeper and deeper and you get you know, to the more juicier red meat stuff. But what I was able to do 
was let's make sure that we really explain what this worldview is. Because I've never really seen a film that has articulated and explained what communism really is. I, I feel like we did a really good job with that. And I felt like that was really important because you and I know who Karl Marx is. We know who Mao is, Stalin. This is what we do. We study this. But the average person doesn't know who, who these men are. They don't know what this ideology is. You know, and again, going back to public school, you learn about Adolf Hitler and the Holocaust every year. I mean, literally every year you study Adolf Hitler and the Holocaust. You never study communist China. You never study you know, the Bolshevik revolution, you never study the Soviet Union. You know, I, I'm learning this stuff in my 30s, you know. So I think people think it's cool because they don't know what it is. And like, you know, Yuri Bezanov says in the film, it's not until the military, the military boot crushes your balls that you realize what you yep. just got yourself into. Mm -hmm. And along those lines, talking about crushing things, I am very happy you showed quite a bit of graphic black and white footage of communists taking out resistors with a bullet to the back of the head from close range or by firing squad. This isn't a video game, people. This is not a video game. Uh, I, I am so happy that you showed them just blown, blowing people away. And it's very, very graphic, but we need to see that people need to understand these people are playing for Keith. This is not a game. Those are well, really old footage. Some of those look like they were back in the time of Lenin almost, but it, it was very, and, and China, you know, you showed you showed the graves, you showed the body, you showed the putting people to poor firing squad. Uh, and I hope that that wakes people up. Please tell me why you decided to go so graphic, which I always thought pe we, we needed to see because people just don't take this seriously enough. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, just digging around and, and learning myself, finding these images, again, going back to history. I mean, they show us Nazis, 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 everything's Nazi. And I don't really see a difference between Nazis and communists, to be honest with you. I mean, the, the, the end result is the same. They, they both result in mass graves. You know, I think that there's just been stuff that's been hidden from us. And, you know, I mean, even if you just take the history that we're given, if you do a little research, if you look at the amount of bodies, dead bodies that, that you know, Mao stacked up and Stalin, I mean, it kind of makes Hitler look like an amateur. You know, I mean, you're talking about tens of millions, millions not even right. hundreds of millions of people that have died uh, from this ideology. And, you know, I, I, I think that it wasn't to go graphic just to be shocking to people, but you need to see where this ends. You know, this is where this ends every time. Yeah, it's, every coming, time. Here if we, if it's coming here if we don't stop it. Well, I mean, listen to the, the rhetoric from our president a week ago. I mean, this is just straight. I mean, they're not even hiding it. And it's what's crazy is is. It, it just worries me that people can't see it, that the scales really are covering the eyes. I mean, it's real because if you can't hear it and see it at this point, then I, I don't know if you ever will. Yeah, I, I hear you. You know, you went to great you went to great lengths to and I thank you for this to break down the devastating effects of a community organizer, Saul Alinsky. The author of The Revolutionary's Bible, so to speak, Rules for Radicals, in which Alinsky actually dedicates the book to Lucifer for revolting against God. 
And you really went deep into how this community organizer who Hillary Clinton and all these taught it and Obama, this, this is this is the holy grail guy about community organizing. And you showed from what he did back then in black and white and brought up in the future where we're looking at what's going on with Antifa and looking at what's going on with Black Lives Matter and in the school systems and and a lot of the politicians, even people on the networks today on the network news sounding very much just like Solovinsky organized radicals from back in the day. That was great. Thank you. You want me to comment on that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Break it down because a lot of people, we, we talk about Alinsky all the time, but yeah. uh, you, you, you hit a lot of people. You, you got Alinsky, you got Antonio Gramsci, you, you, got, you got into Karl Marx. You explained the difference between why they couldn't do it in America through revolution. So they turned to cultural Marxism, trying to change the culture, get rid of Judeo-Christian culture, the, the, the effect of the educational system. To, to lead us into, you know, that as you brought it out very adroitly, how up until a certain period of time, government wasn't involved in public education. It was the churches and the schools and, and the homes and everybody. Parents were responsible for making sure their kids got educated. But then as we got into the 60s and, you know, you brought out everything, how all these radical groups are supposed to be black, how the NAACP was founded by white socialists. I mean, you got, please, just, but let's... I'm, I'm well, rambling, think, but let's I, get on to no, Alinsky here. Yeah. Well, I think what what I was learning as I was as I was cutting this film together is that the tactics don't really change mm-hmm. because they work. Don't fix it if it ain't broke. I mean, it, it, the tactics work, and you know, naturally, like when we're when we're cutting a film like this, we we try to let the the story un, unfold. We try to let it it go, you know, tell itself naturally. And then what happens as the film starts kind of coming to life is I saw that it was a loop. It was, you know, you're just in this loop where the what happened in Russia in 1917, what happened on all these countries, it's the same thing over and over and over again. But I think what makes America interesting is that America was kind of a a tough nut to crack because of our founding and uh, you know our, our 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 founding fathers and the the foundation that they built our country on, it really wasn't an easy task to deceive Americans because Americans were highly educated, we were well read. Our founding fathers wrote a document that was accessible to people, and there was a pride in independence. And I think the first couple hundred years of our country, I mean, you had very tough people that 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 immigrated here that that understood what it was and they had some skin in the game they understood what private property meant from a biblical worldview and so america was a really tough nut to crack and it was people like antonio gramsci who understood that america would never fall with a a, a typical war because we were too powerful that you had to get in and change people culturally. You had to demoralize people. And so they have been consistent at doing that for the last 100 plus years. And now we're seeing the fruit. I mean, you see the 60s to me was, they felt like they were close in the 1960s. I feel like 1968, they thought the revolution was 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 coming. They, they thought that they, they had America in the bag. But 1968, you know, you have, I think America was just 
tired of civil rights. They were tired of protests. They were tired of hippies. They were tired of the feminist movement. And because of the way our, our country was founded, you the brakes were put on it. You know, LBJ mm -hmm. steps down. Uh, Richard Nixon comes in on a pro-law enforcement, pro-America campaign. And it, this stuff just kind of dies out. And then it flare, it, you know, it flares. Try they try to flare it back up at the end of the '70s during the Carter time, and then you have Reagan come in, and so it's kind of this back and forth. And I think probably, you know, this is just my opinion. This has nothing to do with the film, but my opinion is when the Berlin Wall comes down in '89, '90, I think America felt like we won. I feel like America felt like we beat communism, and we really let our guard down. And what these cultural Marxists and these radicals were able to do was go back and kind of repackage this critical theory and improve on the level of deception. And now that's where we're at now. You're, you're, you're dealing with that, that post um, the fall of the you know, Soviet Union. Um, this is, we're dealing with the fruit. This is the, the Barack Obama um, level you know, or Barack Obama Marxist world. And that's why it's it's so incredibly deceptive. It's so incredibly hard to articulate what this is. And so I think, again, it's just a cycle. I think Uncle Tom, too, just shows that it's the cycle. And, for, you know, for me, it's it's it goes back. If you peel it back far enough, it's good versus evil. It's God versus man. And that's that's how you simplify it. But then as you get into the, the tactics, it, it gets very nuanced and very complicated. Yeah. And and there's so many tenets to this um, tentacles where they reach there with their evil, you know, just trying to collapse us on all different levels. Since you mentioned the uh, fall of the Berlin Wall, one of the most resounding parts of the film, at least to me, was when Colonel Allen West said this and you showed footage. You later showed footage of, of uh, Korea because he spoke about Korea, North and South, but you showed footage of Germany from back in the day. And uh, Colonel West said this, quote, for me, it was real simple. I was on a deployment with my unit to West Berlin. We went through Checkpoint Charlie. When I came out on the other side in East Berlin, I said, oh, hell no. I don't want to live like that. And we've been having people for 50 years telling us what life is like in communist countries. We're seeing Venezuela right now. We saw that once great nation, which I've been to Caracas three or four times when Caracas, back in the 80s. We're seeing China. We're seeing North Korea. We're seeing all of these vestiges of what happens when this failed, totally failed ideology takes over. Why is it being... How is it that the founders of Black Lives Matter, whether they're the founders or not, how can she stand up and proudly say, I'm a trained Marxist and as I and we don't just, uh, you know, throw, throw her where she belongs? Uh, I, just the just the doctrines and the philosophies of socialism, Marxism, communism, the way people just boldly come out and profess this is the way we want America to be. And where's the pushback? Well, I think I think they get arrogant evil gets very arrogant you know it's same with the 1960s i mean i think they were they were very bold then too and you know it, and we're seeing kind of the the pendulum shift right now i mean blm is obviously getting a lot of pushback and getting exposed for what they are 
but how they fall for it is because it's it's very it's a very seductive ideology you know it, it deceives you into thinking that there is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and it's easy to sell to a young mind uh, a life of leisure and you know you shouldn't have to work so hard you know life life shouldn't have pain life should be painless and if you're in a um you know this goes back to removing god i mean if you if you follow god and you read scripture you understand that life is full of pain you understand that 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 we all come from pain and suffering i mean that's the human experience right um and mm-hmm. if and if you you know if you understand the constitution if you know history my thing is like if you know history and you know scripture you cannot be deceived and that goes back to why they had to slowly demoralize us because americans understood history and they understood scripture and the more that you understand those two things the the more free you are and and you cannot be controlled it's nearly impossible to control because if you have faith in God and you believe in his providence, then you're willing to die for that. And if you understand that America is the beacon of hope for the world and, and out of all the countries in the history of the world, it's the only country that's ever put value on the individual, then you're, you're worth fighting. That's worth fighting for. But somebody like Patrice Cullors of BLM, she doesn't know these histories. She doesn't know these things. She's easily deceived, and that's where that's how we get here. That's why you have to get into the schools and make social justice, you know, the religion of the youth. I hear you. You know, uh, Brandon Tatum, who's been a guest on this show, uh, he, she's, he's been on, a guest on my show a couple times, the co-founder of Blexit. He's in the movie, and he says, I'm starting to become skeptical of the civil rights movement. We're not told the entire truth of the civil rights movement because Martin Luther King was a socialist. Are we just hearing his one speech and people are glorifying his one speech like they glorify Black Lives Matter? One of the things I was so happy to see you take on in this film is the holy grail that a lot of people do not want to rattle that cage. And that is the communist effect on the civil rights movement. You yeah, went that, into great detail. Well, we just scratched the service on this one. I know, honest. I know it's coming down the pike. You know, <laughs> yeah. but but boy, because so many people are afraid to touch this. They are. You weren't. Uh, did you have to think about it? Well, we went through the emotions. I mean, we worked on this film for two years, and I mean, we were showing early cuts to Larry and our producers, and that's Larry so Elder. Many- yeah, so there, there was, there was a, I mean, it was an emotional ride for us. I mean, I, I'll never know what it's like to watch it, you know, just in one piece, you know. But you know what you get in two hours, we went through for two years. So yeah, there, there was definitely some, some fear and, and, and those types of emotions. But we just followed the truth, you know. I remember it was last August. Yeah, a little over a year ago. Uh, we just kept running into MLK. We weren't looking for him. I didn't really even want to talk about MLK at all in this film. But, you know, as we were digging up the NAACP and as we were, you know, as we were following the the breadcrumbs, he just kept popping up. And so it's like, OK, well, let's 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 dig in. And we were able to find all of his writings, all of his correspondence. And 
I mean, I, I think that I think the problem is is that both conservative and liberal-minded people, there's kind of been this tug of war for MLK. Like everybody wants MLK, and I think both sides have deified him, and both sides want him to be on their side. And so I think we don't they they don't want to know the truth, and it kind of goes to this 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 problem that most of us have as as human beings is we don't want to think that we've been duped. We don't want to think that we've been fooled. And so I think some conservatives are having, I don't want to say trouble with the film. I mean, they come around, but it's shaking them. I mean, we've, yeah. we've screened the film for a couple thousand people and I've had people kind of not say anything and walk out and maybe send a text message that night saying like, I don't know. But then a couple of days down the road, they 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 come along because it hurts to think that you've been deceived. And so yeah, the civil rights thing is 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 something that we we didn't seek. I mean, we were just following the truth. That's all it was. And 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 I think you know, God put me and Chad together. Chad is he has a beautiful mind, man. He has an incredible knack for research and he was able to unearth things and 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 find things that have been in broad daylight that's the thing we're not everyone has access to this information right but chad was able to pinpoint it and you know and i was able to take his research and his thoughts and you know put it together so i think it's a i think we're it's a beautiful collaboration that 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 we have so yeah i mean people at the end of the day don't need to worship man and we're not here to like you know attack anyone personally we just want to get down to the bottom of like what the truth is you know and, and present it for people i mean we're not telling you how to think you can watch the film and think how you know what you will um but we're just presenting the information uh that we discovered in a digestible form i hear i hear justin and you know everybody probably one of the strongest emotions and the emotion that really we hate dealing with the most is betrayal. Almost any of us who are an adult have either been in a situation or know of somebody who has been betrayed by somebody very, very close to them, be it a husband or a wife, a boyfriend, girlfriend, it could be a business partner, but betrayal is so hard to deal with. And I think the bottom line in this case, it is so hard for people, in particular black people, to understand or even want to deal with the possibility and the thought that black leadership, black leadership sold out black people. It's just so hard to deal with. And it's going on now. It's, it hasn't stopped. You know, the, the leaders of the, the black leaders of, uh, in all these cities in the Democratic Party, I mean, they're selling out their, they're selling out their people. They're selling out their people for power and they're selling out their people for the big government. This isn't free enterprise. They're, they're enslaving people. Black people were far worse off under Barack Obama. He's living large. Look at, his, look at his own state. You know, and it's so hard to think that people, regardless of how they started out in a movement, are actually, actually sold them out. And the same thing goes for the predominant number of black pastors that sold out the church for pick up your cross and follow me from Jesus for social justice. It's so hard to get people to understand and want to deal with this because to pull that Band-Aid off, you're right, it hurts. Well, with black people, with black people in particular, I mean, that's what 
Uncle Tom one really that was my curiosity is like why is it that if a black person doesn't toe the line that they're completely ostracized and 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 criticized and and berated and so there's a lot of pressure to stay on the plantation you know that's what that's the way that that herman Cain would always say it to stay on the plantation there's a lot of pressure it's hard to go out on your own and it really breaks my heart because there's been people that i've met and i've seen reviews of young black people that have watched the films uh one and two that are leaving these just heart-wrenching reviews and these in these i mean crying on their youtube channels about this betrayal and when they explain their kind of awakening and their red pill moment, they talk about how lonely it is. And I think, you know, the the best compliment that I that I have received for part one is that there was a lot of people waking up. There's a lot of people that were curious, but they didn't know about these men and women. They didn't know about, you know. Robert Woodson and Larry Elder and these incredible, incredible men, Carol Swain, they didn't know about these people. And I think what Uncle Tom one did for them is it it solidified that they weren't crazy and that, you know, it, it emboldened them because no one had put, you know, everyone into one package. And, you know, I was just following the story. But, you know, Uncle Tom one, you have a farmer, you have a you know, you have a veteran, you have business owners, you have political people, you have commentators, you have writers, you have intellects, you have construction workers, you have the whole gamut of, of the human spectrum, the, the human uh, uh, the personality, but they all had one thing in common, their conservative values and their love for their country. And so I think there's a lot of pressure coming from black people one they don't know they're they're not educated to know about their history and when you don't know about your history then you have nothing to look up look forward to look up to and so you're easily deceived and once you know you know fear is a very powerful thing and if you can convince people that without you they're helping them that they're going to that they're going to starve to death and that you know someone's going to come and wipe them out you can control them, and it's 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 so sad. It's it's criminal. It's happening right before our very eyes. So you know, it's really gonna take um, it's gonna take God really to wake people up. But you know, I, I hope that these films can do their do their part in showing Black Americans that they have to be proud of. I hear what you're saying, and uh, you know what you say about the film. The film unveils the Marxist strategy of creating false racial tension between Americans, and its ultimate goal of obtaining power, destroying capitalism, and replacing God with government. You do an outstanding, incredible job showing and proving all of that. The point is, very few people who need to. See a film like this, ever get to see it? How can how can we change this? Because everybody needs to, see, and the people that need to see it are the ones that don't. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, again, it's that whole the brilliance of evil is the psychology of like you know people don't want to they don't want to know that they've been fooled. I think what I think yeah, Mark Twain was. It's easier to fool someone than to convince them that they've been fooled. So there's a lot of ego. And, you know, they're so bought in on on their thought process. But, you know, there was one 
story in particular, there's, there's a, a YouTuber named Gothics. I got to meet her at our premiere uh, in Dallas a couple weeks ago. And I got a, f- a phone call about a year ago that there was a, document, a documentary filmmaker who had seen Uncle Tom and he was making a film about a young lady that Uncle Tom had changed her, her worldview. And he was wanting to know if he could talk about the film in, in his film and use some clips from it. And I said, absolutely. Well, it turns out there was a girl named Gothics. I would, you could look her up on YouTube. She's very bright, very entertaining. But she was going through uh, the process of being canceled. She was a video gamer. She tweeted something that she shouldn't have tweeted, according to the, to the, the cancel mob. And they canceled her. They destroyed her. And so she was in this very, very dark place. Uh, she even admits that she was suicidal. She lost her income. She lost all of her friends. She lost everything. And slowly but surely, some of her uh, childhood friends who were more conservative were there for her, and they start talking. And one thing led to another. She started opening her mind. And it was right at that time that Uncle Tom 1 came out. And so her and her boyfriend watched it. And in that film, she discovered, you know, Larry Elder, she discovered Thomas Sowell. And so now she's just, it, it was there. So mm-hmm. I say that, I say that to be like, it, it, we, we're not gonna be able to just force people to sit down and like take on this information and, and, and believe it. But it's that, those types of stories. There's one girl in Rhode Island who just so happened to be at that moment where there's a little bit of light coming in and she saw a film and it solidified that she wasn't crazy. And so I'm sure that Uncle Tom has done that for, for several people. I mean, if you get on YouTube, you can look up uh, Uncle Tom reaction videos. I would, I would you know, encourage you to watch some of those because they're very emotional. And these, these aren't black conservatives reaction. These are just black Americans that are wondering what's going on. So there is a shift in thought. It's just slow. I mean, it was gradual to get us here, and it's probably going to be gradual to get us out. It's 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 a it's a pendulum swing. So you know, I I wish more people in the inner city would would watch these films, and maybe who knows? Maybe they are. I, I mean, I, I we don't know who's watching them, but um, you know, all we can do is 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 make them. You know, we can't force people to watch them. Yeah, I I I think. With the climate in the country and what's going on with the left and a lot of people are starting to see this connection between the United States and China. And I think a lot of people are starting to become afraid and they're going to be searching out people like, you you know, these type of movies and looking for a voice and looking for an answer someplace. Uh, Justin, I've really enjoyed this that uh, you have come on along with Chad to uh, talk about this, what I think is one of the most, if not the most influential documentary I ever saw. Please tell people how they can reach you and how they can get the uh, Uncle Tom 2 and Uncle Tom 1, for that matter. Yeah, everything's at UncleTom.com. Please, uh, you know, if you want to watch the film, go go to UncleTom.com. You can purchase it there. Uh, We will be, uh, it's on Salem Now as well. So if you subscribe to Salem Now, Salem is carrying it. And in the next, you know, couple months, we'll expand that to other platforms, uh, hopefully. And, um, you know, I guess my one request would be like, if you watch the film and you enjoy the film, please uh, go to IMDb and and write a review. And it helps us so much because, you know, I I don't want to complain about uh, censorship and, you know, 
um, shadow banning and all those things, but they are real things. It, it, you know, sometimes it is hard to get the word out. I mean, so we do rely on word of mouth a lot, but writing reviews and sharing it with your, your, your friends and family, if it moves you, please do so. Uh, so, you know, we can, we can keep going and, um, we can support the, uh, you know, the, the, the cause and, and help people, you know, it helps us keep making films. So reviews really help. So I would ask y'all to do that if you could. I hear you, and we're going to do everything we can to get the word out to as many people as possible. Justin, thank you very much for coming on. God bless you. God bless your family, and keep doing what you're doing because you're rattling the right cages. Thank you so much, Gary. I look forward to uh, speaking again soon. Same here. There you have it. The director of Uncle Tom 2, Justin Malone. The stellar cast of Uncle Tom 2 includes executive producer Larry Elder, Jesse Lee Peterson, Dr. Carol Swain, Brandon Tatum, Colonel Alan West, and Dr. Ben Carson. What a resume Dr. Carson has. The former director of pediatric neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins University, a 2016 Republican presidential candidate, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under the Trump presidency, a top-selling author. He's been on the podcast before. I am glad to bring back Dr. Ben Carson. Dr. Ben Carson, how are you? I am absolutely doing very well. Thank you. This is great. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, with the climate in the country, the fact that we're even able to say that to me is a blessing. Dr. Carson, how did they approach you? And why did you decide to get involved with this uh, film? Uh, well, I think they recognize that it's a great concern of mine. Uh, some of the things that have been happening in the black community, uh, unbeknownst to people who are being used and abused. And it's something that I've talked about for many years. So it seemed like a natural connection. And I knew Larry Elder and we'd had conversations before about this kind of thing. Okay, that's very interesting. Can you kind of, without giving any uh, trade secrets, the type of conversations that you and Larry had, were you like bouncing off your experiences and he's telling you his experiences? Were you getting together like as a think tank, think tank thing and came to certain conclusions? Gee, I didn't know that. And you saying I didn't know that. You know what I mean? Uh, really just uh, in conversations in the various places that we meet up. Um, the, the conversation would almost naturally uh, migrate to, you know, what's happening in our communities. I hear you. I hear why, you. And why is it happening in our communities? Um, yeah, and that's the big question. Why? The big question is why. Everybody can see the what, but the why, I think, was really exposed in this film. And the biggest thing that came out of this to me, and, and we're, you know, from the same, pretty much from the same generation, the biggest thing that came up to me was it had completely slipped my mind that the American Negro and the history of the American Negro and all the great things from Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass, all the way up, the, the life that we had in the 50s that I know I had in suburban New Jersey with two parents in the home, everybody went to church, everybody loved the country, everybody loved God. They completely have purged that from, from our history. How the heck did they pull that off? 
Well, you know, interestingly enough, if you read much of the Marxist literature, uh, they talk about how strong the United States is and that the only way to bring America down would be to attack the pillars of our strength, which are our faith and our family. And you see that that is what's being attacked. And particularly so in the black community, the, the great society of, of, of Lyndon Johnson was perhaps one of the worst things that ever happened uh, because it made people dependent upon the government and that dependency was based on their behavior. What's the worst thing, Dr. Carson, that ever happened to black people in a way, one of the things, the name change and the change in ideology from Negro to black, because I remember the change and, you know, I was a big fan of James Brown and, and you know, was say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud and black became the thing and it became a movement and within the movement, the American Negro and everything that the American Negro had worked so hard to accomplish was shunned and thrown into the background and it looks like never to be even recognized again. Well, when we start uh, concentrating on nomenclature uh, instead of on facts and uh, on accomplishments, uh, then, you know, this is the kind of thing that happens. And there was a time, certainly when I was growing up, there was much greater emphasis on getting an education and making sure that you control your own destiny, uh, not on how do you put yourself in a position so that you can get you know, more goodies. <laughs> I mean, that's a real problem. And uh, unless we correct that, uh, there'll continue to be a downward spiral. You know, when you look at the black community in this country and how they were able to withstand slavery and Jim Crow and segregation and, and all the unfairness. It was during a time when they had strong families and they had strong faith. When those things begin to disappear, look at the deterioration that has occurred. When we stop respecting ourselves, respecting each other, it made it much easier to engage in criminal activity against each other. I, I understand what you're saying. I saw a change. I saw a change in the 70s. Uh, after I'd gotten out of college, I saw a change within, you know, because I was a sports writer here in New York. So I'm going into high schools and covering high school sports, among other things. But I noticed the change in which amongst black, a lot of black youths, if you were trying to get educated, if you were trying to go to college, if you weren't trying to be cool, if you weren't hanging out or, you know, doing the street thing or doing the party thing, you weren't cool. You were trying to be white. You weren't a real brother, you know, and that really just took off to where you where when you look at the hip hop movement and 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 the bling and the booty and everything that took place, it, 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 it kind of became like, don't get educated. You know, be a thug. <laughs> it, it just. Right. I think you're right about that. And, you know, I remember many times uh, in my high school, people were saying to me I was trying to act white uh, because I was uh, diligent in my studies. And I would say, well, if being smart is acting white, what is being black? Of course, they never had an answer to that. Um, and I basically ignored it. And I'll tell you what was so funny. 
uh, I had many people uh, criticizing me. But when I came back from my 25th class reunion, everybody was coming to me and saying how proud they were of me. And, and don't you remember how we used to encourage you? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing was that the, the really cool guys, most of them were dead. You know, I can relate to that story because when I became a sports writer and started doing some radio and television in New York and went back to Summit, New Jersey, uh, 20, 25, 30 years later and ran into some of the guys that, you know, you know, really had a problem like, you know, you're not cool because you're trying to go to college and stuff. They actually said, we're glad you made it. We wish we did what you did. We're glad somebody in the community is doing something and 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 you know, we're really proud of you. And and I can see it was heartfelt, you know, because a lot of them were either working in the rec center or pushing a broom somewhere. And as you said, a lot of them were dead. Well, now let's get down to the nitty gritty. And you you know this. We've talked about it when you were a guest on the show before. When I was growing up, just the mention of the word communist would make you very uneasy. Yeah, even now, Marxist, socialist, communist, progressive, they use these words with no regard. Uh, Bernie Sanders, I'm a, a, a democratic socialist, which there is no such thing. But anyway, you know, people, oh, I'm this, I'm that. They're just throwing these words around. When we were growing up, if you even dared to use a word like that, you're looking around hoping somebody's not carrying you off to jail. What happened? Well, you know, what's interesting is uh, Khrushchev said to Eisenhower 60 years ago, your grandchildren's children will live under communism and we won't have to fire a shot. I think he was a sage because what did he know? He knew that all he had to do is gain control of our educational system so they could indoctrinate the kids, gain control of the media so you could spoon feed the people what you wanted them to hear and uh, replace faith in God with faith in government and raise the national debt to astronomical levels so he could justify massive taxation, redistribution of wealth, and complete dependence on the government. Anybody who's observant knows that those are the exact things that are going on. And uh, they're having that effect, and they're moving us very rapidly uh, toward another system. However, here's the fortunate thing. It's moving too rapidly. Yes. And people are waking up. People are actually able to see what's going on. I, I, I hope to the degree that we can avert a real catastrophe in our country. Well, I hope you're right, Dr. Carson. I just think God is going to have to, you know, just open some eyes here. And it just seems like he's just letting this go and letting this go. So, you say, OK, you want to we've been trying to tell you what communism looks like for 50 years, 75 years, but you don't get it. Now I'm going to let you get a little taste of it and then a bigger taste of it until you wake up, because we're, we're on the edge of the cliff. And, and, and it's amazing to me that we got this far. And I thought the main focus of this film was to show that the main problem in black America that has brought about this demise was not necessarily caused by black people. Yeah, the pastors and the leaders, they're the useful idiots, but behind this are the communists. Absolutely, and you have your people like Saul Alinsky. Yes. Uh, and I, I always tell people, read Rules for Radicals, go to the library and get it. So you can see exactly what's going on. You'll recognize a lot of it. And uh, you're not going to defeat your enemy if you don't understand your enemy. 
You're right about that. And, and you know, you, you should have known rules for radicals. You're going to have a major problem when uh, when when Saul starts out by dedicating the book to Lucifer for <laughs> for giving God the middle finger. So, you know, it's like uh, so you start from there. But I thought the film did a great job of showing what Saul Alinsky was doing in Illinois back then and bringing it into Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and just seeing the same community organizing tactics that Barack Obama used and made prevalent in this country. Saul started it, Obama did it, and now they're just taking it to another level. And interestingly enough, uh, BLM had on their website that they wanted to tear down the Western nuclear family. And uh, again, that is the essential element of a strong society, is a strong family. And that's one of the reasons that you see us dissolving so quickly. But I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's always darkest before the dawn. And I see people waking up in droves. And I particularly see that in the black community. Uh, it used to be when I would go to conservative gatherings, I was the only black face there. And now there are a lot of black faces. And uh, that's very encouraging. People starting to think for themselves, not be manipulated, because the left, all they say is, don't believe your ears, don't believe your eyes, don't believe your heart. Just listen to us. We'll tell you what to think. Is one of the big problems, though, and, and you know, I've been involved in, in, in this type of uh, struggle since 2012, which isn't that long ago. But one of the things I've noticed is we, we talk to people about communism. We talk to them about socialism. We talk to them about who is taking God out of the workplace, the schools and the government. And what you find out is the Democrats have made Republicans and conservatives such a boogeyman. It's like, yeah. You can leave us, but where are you going to go? You're going to go to them? You know what I mean? You you really see that breaking up because my heart's been semi-broken the last three or four election cycles. I never dreamed after four years of Barack Obama he could be reelected, even if that election was stolen. I don't know. But the point is, I would have said, okay, they finally got to see what Marxism looks like. And and I, I I couldn't believe it on election night. Well, remember, our founders said that our system was designed for an informed and educated populace. And it doesn't work for other people. And that's what's happened to us. We've become uninformed. I don't know if you've seen some of these men on the street interviews. Mm-hmm. That ask people, you know, what mm-hmm. countries border on the United States? And they'll say, like, uh, Texas and California. I mean, they just have no idea. And when people are that ignorant, they become exceedingly easy to manipulate. I hear you. Uh, My final question here is, uh, you know, we got we have to get back to God. We, we really do. The Constitution, we were founded on Judeo-Christian values. Uh, Karl Marx knew you get rid of God because people are either going to look to a benevolent God or government for their sustenance, but not both. Then you got to take the guns away. But God has been removed from the workplace, the school, the government. And because of that, you know, one of the things they brought out in the film was communists. Communism offers a stolen version of Christianity. Socialism promises heaven on earth that we can have what God promises without God. Your comments. Absolutely. Well, you know, John Adams, our second president, said that our Constitution was designed for a moral and religious people. 
and is totally inadequate for the governance of any other. Uh, I mean, we always depended upon those Judeo-Christian values that taught us how to relate to our fellow man. Love your neighbor, not cancel your neighbor. If mm-hmm. you, uh, and that evil really has infiltrated where people actually hate someone because they have a different yard sign. And uh, the, the most radical left-wing person, the most radical right-wing person in this country agree on 90% of stuff. But we've allowed the, the, the purveyors of hatred and division to take that 10% and to use it as a wedge to drive us apart on the basis of race, religion, income, age, gender, you name it. And it's being extraordinarily effective. I hear you, Dr. Carson. Dr. Carson, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on the first time. Uh, Tell people what you're involved in and what you're doing now. Thanks for being a part of Uncle Tom and throwing your insight in there. But uh, what's going on in Ben Carson's life right now? Well, I'm uh, the founder and chairman of the American Cornerstone Institute, which emphasizes the cornerstone principles that made us into a great nation. That would be our faith, liberty, community, and life. And we have a pediatric component called Little Patriots, an online program, free of charge, by the way, K through five, which teaches the values and the principles of our nation and the history, uh, good, the bad, and the ugly. But if you're objective, you'll see there's a lot more good than there is bad and ugly. The left, of course, takes the bad, slavery, things like that, and tries to build the rest of our nation on that. And, of course, that is not going to lead to any place good. So those things, the Carson Scholars Fund, which is spreading uh, rapidly as well, emphasizing the importance of not only academic achievement, but humanitarian endeavors caring about other people. Those things are absolutely essential if we're going to succeed as a nation. I hear you. And these things all tie in to Uncle Tom, too, because it's because of organizations like you have and the books that you have written that people will get to rise above all the false information that's being thrown out there by the, the Marxists. So we'll be able to, as you say, see clearly and make right decisions. Dr. Carson, I thank you very much for coming on. God bless you and God bless your family. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Dr. Ben Carson. I want to thank Chad O. Jackson, Justin Malone, and Dr. Ben Carson for shining a searing spotlight on what is behind the demise, not only of the black community, but is bringing down America, the communist infiltration that we need to stop right here, right now, why we still have time to do so. But as you heard in the film, time is running out. So let's get involved, people. This podcast is available for download at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review. And be sure to tell your friends about the show. There you have it for now, folks. Thanks for joining us. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America.